Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be back. Some of you don't know because you were gone too, but Jared and I were gone this last week. We were um, on a special mission to pick up the national treasure. That would be my mom uh, from Yuma. And I'm here to say she's safely delivered. The package has arrived and she was here last service. And so that's a, it's a wonderful delight and she'll be back with us for the next six months. So it was really fun time uh, to get away and okay, you can just say it. I know you're thinking it. Yuma. That's your dream destination, right? Okay. Nobody's signing up for it. I have to tell you that if anybody could make it fun, my husband and I did. We took hikes. We visited a prison. Come on. You know you want to do that. But uh, we enjoyed the sunshine, whatever we did. And we just decided to make the most of it and learn as much about that town as we could. Get to know the place my mom was uh, planting her roots for six months of the year. So it was a really delightful time. But we did miss you. And you know, one of the things I've been reminded of just in returning and just during the week we were gone, so much life happened. And, and any given weekend, you've had a highlight happen. You've had a low point happen and we've had everything in between happen right and the people that you're sitting next to even the ones you don't know not your spouse right because you know their story a bit more but they have had a lot of things happen in this past week and we walk into this time together with a story and i just want to encourage you how much we need each other how much we need to be a community together. And so when you go out and enjoy hospitality, um, you know, the teams that, pro- uh, that provide that every week, they don't do it because they think the food is so important. They do it because it helps people connect. And this is the thing. We all need encouragement. We all need love. We need somebody to take an interest in our story, in our low point or our high point, to stop for a minute and pray for us. And that's what that time's all about. So thanks for taking advantage of it. But I'm excited today because we're talking about uh, commitment. Oh boy, can we hear it? That's like saying we're talking about molars, right? Yeah, some of us are, are like, okay, the big C word. No, I'm really excited about And we're finishing the Luke chapter 9. And we've been in Luke chapter 9 for quite a few weeks now. And so next week, Jared will start us off into the, into the new chapter. But how many of you have read or are reading with the kids in your life, whoever they might be, a Dr. Seuss book? Yeah, most of us, even if we haven't currently read, we're familiar with who Dr. Seuss is and the crazy characters that he creates. And this isn't from a book, but this is a poem he wrote that I think has everything to do with Jesus' conversation with three guys on the road to Jerusalem. It's called The Zode on the Road. Did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to a sign at the fork in the road? He looked one way and the other way too. The Zod had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zod scratched his head and his chin and his pants, and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, this place might be hot. So how will I know whether I like it or not? On the other hand, though I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two, it might feel too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, went no place at all 
with a split in his pants. Dr. Seuss, he's able to capture a lot of truth in a really humorous way. And I honestly think Jesus would be smiling right now about that and quoting it to these men on the road. He'd add it to the conversation because he's describing such a common experience that many of us have when faced with the need to commit to a particular path, one or the other. Now, it got pretty breezy for the Zode because he tried to avoid committing to either path ends up splitting his pants. But today, Jesus is talking to three guys on the road to Jerusalem. And each one of them had a little zode in them. They try to commit to two things at once. And Jesus is making sure of what the one thing really is. He's not going to let them hedge their bets like the zode did. He comes along and he explains to them what it really means to be committed to him. And I want to tell you today, it is huge to commit to Jesus Christ. You might not have been expecting that. It is a wherever, whenever, whatever kind of commitment. And to take a look at this conversation, we want to look in Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. You can follow along on your device or on the screen or your Bibles there as I read. As they were walking along a road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. To which Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow. Kind of a serious talk, isn't it? These conversations. It's not filled with a lot of frivolity or humor. And I want to put it in its context to make sure that we capture the heart of Jesus. In verse 51... Leading up to these verses, it is the pivotal verse, what they call a hinge verse in the Gospel of Luke. It is Jesus saying, I have set my face toward Jerusalem. It is, he's been all over Galilee, going village to village, proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. And now he has set his face toward Jerusalem and he's going to start his trek. Oh, he's going to get interrupted along the way. He's going to have all sorts of encounters with people, but he is immovable. He's got his face set toward Jerusalem. And the thing is, from the very beginning, what God always wanted was relationship with you and me. In the very opening chapters of Genesis, what he wanted for Adam and Eve was to walk with him in the cool of the garden and to experience Jesus with one another and with him. To hear his voice and to commune with him. To enjoy this utopian paradise called Eden, unspoiled by sin. But in the middle of that unspoiled utopia that God himself had created, they refused to follow him in the one thing he told them not to do. And they decided to go their own way. And they broke it off with him. Each one of us have gone our own way, have followed in our own footsteps. We've followed them in sin or disobedience. But all of this was intended for the same thing. I want you. 
God wants you and me. God loves you and me. And so when he's talking to these guys, and we're going to look at these conversations, and it's all serious, and it's all asking for things from them, I want you to hear it in that context. Come on. Let's go together. Let's accompany me along the way. You ever play that game as a child, follow the leader? Yeah, we're going to play it right now. You know the game. You get a whole team of people and you pick one person to be the leader. And that person does things and everybody has to follow what they do exactly. And if the leader catches them not doing that, they get kicked out of the game. And the whole goal is to be the last man or woman standing. And that makes you the next leader, right? And then you proceed on your way. So, everybody ready? Right hand raised. Okay, now it's time to rub the stomachs that are waiting for lunch. I don't know, maybe just a cinnamon roll would do. Like a, I don't know, that sounds good to me. How about this? Don't knock your neighbor's head off, but hands out in front. Yeah, and down. Follow the leader. It's doing what the leader does. It's looking at that leader and following them in their actions. Jesus didn't invite us to follow him so we could negotiate. We all know what negotiation means, right? To reach a decision through compromise and discussion with all the involved parties. That's not what he's inviting these guys on the road to do. He's inviting them to follow the leader, as simple as that game. So I want to just look at the two words that Jesus reiterates. In fact, he he initiates his own invitation in the second guy. And it's these two words, follow me. Follow, to follow after someone, to imitate them, to accompany the one being followed. And there's really three ideas inherent in following. The first is to submit to that leader, to submit to Jesus. And the second one is to identify with Jesus. And the third one is to accompany Jesus wherever he is going. Jesus said it this way earlier in Luke, and Rick unpacked these verses for us in more detail during the snow weekend that we had out of Luke 9, verse 23, when Jesus says these words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Paul described it in a really wonderful way. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Just talking about that, when I'm following Jesus, I am identifying with him as my leader. All the way to Jerusalem, all the way up to that cross, and in the tomb, and after the tomb, to resurrection life, that we're going to be celebrating in a few weeks here. It's just going to be a grand celebration. And Jesus' response, I want to look at not just follow, but follow me. Not a person, not a rules, not regulations, but a person. Follow me, Savior, Messiah, the one who's headed to, to Jerusalem to die for you. You know, to accompany somebody is to hang out with them, to coexist with them, to spend time with them, to do life with them. And all of these things that we've just talked about, Jesus didn't even have to explain. He just got to say, follow me. Because in that culture, they were ultimately familiar with this whole idea of following your rabbi. In fact, it was a privilege, something that you would be invited to do. And there were two schools of rabbis in Jesus' day. And you belonged to one or the other. And you carried their man. Oh, that's one of Hillel's followers, one of his disciples. And this meant that you submitted to their interpretation of the scriptures. And you did life with them. And so when they heard Jesus say follow, they, they got it 
right there in that few minutes. But these three guys could be any of us on the road that day. In our own conversations with God in our journey, I think they give voice to the conversations that you and I have had. Perhaps you're in the middle of one right now about something that God has asked you to do and you're resisting him or something he's asked you to change your attitude about and you're resisting him or you're debating it with him. Perhaps you're doing the negotiation thing. And I believe today as we take a look at this conversation he has with these three guys that the Holy Spirit has something for each one of us, not the same thing, but something for each of us to take away with us. So let's take a closer look at these three very brief conversations. The first guy says, makes this audacious promise. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have said that to Jesus? That's a big C commitment. I call that whatever. What, wherever, what does Jesus say about this? Well, I find his response interesting. He doesn't try to lure him in with all sorts of enticements about how wonderful it's going to be, about how life with Jesus following him is going to give you security, financial provision, freedom from sickness and all disease, and you're going to name it and claim it. And after all, you're a king's kid, so you shouldn't you get to live like a king while you're here on planet Earth? Isn't that what following Jesus is all about? Now, Jesus said, you want to follow me wherever? You might just end up homeless. You might just end up without a place to lay your head at night. That sounds more like a marine recruiter. The the few, the proud, the marines. Than it does this prosperity message. Or a recruiter for the Peace Corps. You know what their slogan is. The toughest job you'll ever love. That's a lot closer to what Jesus is talking about. So what is going on here in how he responded? If we take a look at all the instances where Jesus issued this invitation, follow me. It's kind of interesting because you'll see in every case, people left stuff behind. They had to let go of things. Even good things. Even profitable things. And secondly, you'll find that people had to say no to themselves. It wasn't just they had to. There was an expectation that there would be a level of self-denial in that life. Furthermore, it wasn't just self-denial. You were also going to face opposition. It wasn't just probable. It was guaranteed. Following this guy, Jesus, was going to get you some trouble. Following Jesus does not mean material prosperity, living an easy life without trouble, without sickness, without hardship, because it is the crucified life. He leads us, and we get to follow him right down that road to Jerusalem, to the cross, where he paid the price for our sins. It's the path that Jesus is well familiar with, because it's the path that he set for himself, and it leads straight to his death on a cross. Now... You can imagine, this is not exactly the kind of talk that we like to hear, is it? I like to hear about prosperity and security, and it's all going to be good, and you're never going to have any trouble. In fact, I loved A.J. Swoboda's uh, quote, and you'll remember him, a church planner on the northeast side of Portland. In his book, he writes about a more accurate way when people say yes to following Jesus is to bring him down to the front and smash him right upside the face. 
I laughed when I read that, but he said that's probably a lot more accurate about what's ahead for them, right? So a little reality check about following Jesus. And you know what? Jesus didn't have any problem with that because that's essentially what he's doing here with them. He's telling them, wherever, wherever, you might end up homeless. You might end up with no place to lay your head. Jesus heard this guy's commitment to follow him wherever he went, and he made sure that he understood what that was really saying. Now, Nelson Mandela understood this kind of commitment, and he spent decades in prison. And in 1964, when he was on trial for his life, facing the death sentence, he said these words. He said, I've fought against white domination, and I've fought against black domination. I've cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which people live together in harmony and have equal opportunities. It's an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if need be, it's an ideal for which I am prepared to die. Now that's a powerful, wherever this may lead me, I will die for this ideal. But guess what? Jesus isn't asking you to follow an ideal. Jesus is asking you to follow him. Jesus is asking me to follow him with our eyes wide open. And yet they're probably as big as saucers by the time we're done today. To really do the toughest thing that you'll ever love. So my question for us today is, what kind of suffering or discomfort makes you think twice about following Jesus where he's leading you? Is it the possibility of being rejected by others? Is it the possibility of living life without the luxuries or the frills that our culture has come to expect as a right? Not just a privilege, but a right. Or is it losing something or someone very near and dear to you? You know, it can be as simple as uncomfortable things. I won't claim that this is suffering, but I will claim that it has been uncomfortable for me. When I was in college, I was at OHSU School of Nursing, and in the middle of my junior year, actually it started in my sophomore year, that I began thinking that God was calling me to full-time, to be a leader in his church, to be full-time Christian ministry versus ministry in the marketplace. Both are ministries. Both are very important, and God called. But they're just different venues, right? And I thought that he was calling me to be a leader in his church. And so I gave up my scholarships and I left school uh, later to return and finish my degree, but not in nursing and in leadership. And I became a leader in the church. And I have to tell you that, well, I wouldn't call it suffering. I would call it at many points, very uncomfortable. It wasn't my idea that I did this. It was Jesus' call that I did this. But there's a lot of opinions out there about it. In fact, I would tell you that at times it can be really lonely. You think Jesus ever got lonely in following the road that his father gave him? I think he did. So I was asked if I would be the national director of church planting for Foursquare, and I was praying about that, Asking Jesus, what do you want me to do? And I I told him, I said, you know, I'm worried that being a woman will get in the way of your mission. He assured me that it was his mission and he could protect it just fine. Uh, But then he led me to this scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power might be of God and not of ourselves. And then this is what I felt like he told me. He said, Anne, because you're a woman... I'll get more credit because you're seen as a more earthen vessel than any guy would be seen. 
I said, I can live with that. I can live with that. So I asked you again, what kind of suffering or discomfort makes you think twice about something that Jesus is asking you to do? Because committing to following Jesus is a wherever he leads. And that brings us to the second conversation, the one that was initiated by Jesus himself, who told the second guy, hey, follow me. And this one is about whenever he leads us, no matter what else is going on, we get to follow. Following does not mean to negotiate. We mentioned this earlier, but I just want to mention, if you're a parent or a babysitter or aunt and uncle, and you've watched kids at all, you know the drill. They look up at you with those beautiful big eyes, and they begin to negotiate that bedtime from five minutes from now to 15 minutes from now. Or could they just watch that one more show? You know how it works. They, they keep that going. Now, the amazing thing is that's exactly what's happening here. This guy, just like the kids in our lives, he's just as smart as they are because he knows exactly what to bring up, to negotiate with. And so do the kids. Something that really matters to Jesus. Like attending your dad's memorial service, right? I mean, this is really smart of him. So here's the deal. It's highly unlikely that this guy's father has actually died yet. If his dad had died, he would not be out here on the road walking with Jesus toward Jerusalem. He would have been back in the village preparing the funeral services, which took up to a week's time in that culture and involved food and mourners and uh, multiple services and music and um, food. And there were a lot of details and the son would have been responsible for this. It would have taken multiple days of preparation. So this was not the case for him yet. So... There's a couple of things that emerge as possibilities for why this guy said, first, let me go back and bury my father. Well, here's one of them, because in that culture, the son would have stood to inherit. And if his dad died and he had left to follow Jesus, his dad might not be too happy with him. And what would happen to that inheritance? Bye-bye. It wouldn't have been his. So he may have been concerned about his financial future. And I'll make that commitment when dad's already dead and the money's in the bank, so to speak. It's a lot safer, as the Zode would say. Let's hedge my bets. It could have been, though, that he, like many kids are, was amazing at throwing out a smokescreen. I'm just going to throw out something to distract Jesus. Uh, By the way, I need to go do this first. There's something else on his agenda. This, whenever he leads really applies even when there's something else on my agenda, no matter what else is on my agenda, in fact. Mike and Cheryl, I met them when they were uh, pregnant with their first child, and uh, then through the birth of their child and that first year of life, I was real involved in a relationship with them, and we were driving one time in the car toward their house after some appointments at OHSU. I was just helping them out during this pregnancy thing that they were facing, and so... Um, Mike started telling me his faith journey. And he said, yep. He said, this is what I did. He said, I um, thought about all the things that I wanted to do. And in his case, he wanted to party. He wanted to go his own way. He wanted to drink and 
rabble rouse with women and just basically he wanted to live without any rules. And he understood very clearly that following Jesus would mean something for his life. It would mean his life was different. And what his idea was is, I'll do that later when I've done the things that I want to do. Then I'll get to Jesus' agenda for my life. And that's pretty much what he decided to do. And he didn't have a real lively relationship with Jesus because of it. You know, sometimes we do that. Jesus, I'm going to follow you after I build my business. I'm going to follow you when I have kids. That's a real common one nowadays. Till the kids are born, eh, we can take it or leave it. But once our kids are born, we got to make sure they get God because they need him. I'm not so sure about me. But when I have kids... Or later, when I'm done doing the things I want to do. And one of the great gifts that my father-in-law gave me was this poem. It's a little lion in a poem that he used to recite periodically, just while we were all together as a family. I like life smooth and in a groove, and all I do be self-approved. Okay, admit it. You have thought of that before, right? Yeah, more than just me. So I want you to think with me. You know, next week we're going to baptize some people. And it's amazing the reasons people have to not follow Jesus in obedience. It's not a step of salvation. It's a step of obedience. Just to follow him and identify with him in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection as you come up out of the water. And a grand celebration. And it's a public declaration to your community that this is who I'm following now. And people come up with all sorts of reasons and fears that can keep them from getting baptized. And Jesus today may be speaking to some of you. And you know, he's saying, he's saying, accompany me. Follow me in this. I'll be there with you. Come on, let's do it together. That's how he's saying it. Not like this. So the question is, is there anything on your agenda that gets in front of your following Jesus? I will follow you, Jesus, whenever you lead me. No matter What else might be on my agenda? And that brings us to the third conversation, the final conversation Jesus has. And it's, and this is what we learn from it's whatever he asks before anything or anyone present or past. We follow Jesus, whatever he asks. This guy says, first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. What he's really saying is, first, I want to go back before I go forward. That's not an uncommon thing. Back to what I know, back to who I know, back to what's familiar to me. And Jesus uses this interesting farming metaphor of uh, putting your hand to the plow. And uh, for many of us in our culture, I mean, we have technology and the things that we're using to farm with a lot different. But Jared's dad had one of these old plows, and it's basically this wooden apparatus with metal apparatus to plow and had two wooden handles and then a harness that attached to an animal, a farm animal that could pull it. But the control was all in the hands of the person holding the plow. And the rule of thumb is you're trying to create a row, right? And the only way to do that is to keep your eye on the near horizon. And if you start looking back like this, and this is not referring to just a quick glance back or a mention back. This is talking about looking back and fixing your gaze on what's behind you with longing and yearning. And all the while, the plow is going off to what my dad would have called Timbuktu. And there is no row. And there is no fulfillment of God's purpose. And there is no reaching the destiny that he had for me and the destination that he wants for me. As long as I'm looking back instead of 
ahead at him. And what he's ultimately talking about is he's talking about something that he's very familiar with because he is doing the same thing. He is holding the plow, the plow of God's purpose for him to go to the cross, to die on that cross and to raise the third day. And he is hanging on to that and he's got his face set on that near horizon. He can see that Jerusalem is in his future and he knows what it's going to hold. But even though it's unpleasant, even though it's difficult, he is still keeping his focus that way because it is whatever he asks me to do. I'm going to keep my face forward. I'm going to follow that and not look back. Now, I want you to think for a minute how Jesus could have looked back, because I don't think we think about this very much, but the first 30 years of his life were pretty good. The only little comment we have from age 12 forward was this, Jesus grew in favor with God and man. But the last three years, that doesn't exactly describe what was going on. He could have decided to look back to all those days in the carpenter shop with my dad. Those were the good old days. Everybody liked me back then. Nobody wanted me dead. There was very little opposition. And then suddenly I have to go on this mission with God. I have to go over, all over Galilee. And now there's people wanting to throw me off of cliffs, stone me. People who want me dead. That's what Jesus could have done, but he didn't. And what he's really telling this guy is you need to reorient yourself to me if you're going to follow me, not to your past. Reorient to me. To follow me, we have to have our eyes on him. Looking at him. Following where he's going. So my brother-in-law, Benny, he was all set. He was getting his first command. This was just a couple months ago. He's been a career army man. He's over 50 years old, and he thought, my deployments are done. He'd had four deployments in in this recent conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was for sure this wasn't going to happen. So he'd been given a command, and it was going to be in El Paso, Texas. Now, lest you think that that's not too cool, he got notice about a month before that he was going to be going to Germany. Now, that sounded, okay, we can live with that. Even though we're at a stage where we'd like to be near our kids and our grandkids, they would have preferred that to stay in Texas. But they thought, we can, that's, a, that's a plane trip, and we can manage this. We'll do it. But then they got the rest of the orders. He was going to be shipped out to Afghanistan five weeks after he got to Germany. My sister, spending a year in Savannah by herself again. She just returned from a week in Germany to say goodbye to him, and he's over there now. So he gave his general a call, and he said, Hey, I don't want to go. No. That is not what he did. You know what he said? As disappointed as they were, they were just really kind of ticked off, to be honest, and you know, did a little family venting. We're all here for each other, right? And then he did what every good soldier does. He said, Yes, sir. He went. And he went to Afghanistan. So the question for us is, what in your past or present makes you hesitate to do what Jesus is asking you to do? We're not unlike these guys. So there was a Navy SEAL, and a whole group of them were sent to rescue some hostages in a dark part of the world. And these hostages had been held for months. And they flew in, and when they landed, they 
stormed the compound. They went in to the room where the hostages were. They were all huddled in a corner together in darkness and filth, cowering, terrified after months of captivity. And they, the SEALs announced, we're Navy SEALs, we're from the United States, we're here to rescue you. Nothing. Nobody moved. Nobody responded. They were terrified for their lives. They didn't believe that they were who they said they were. So one of the SEALs, he thought, we've got to do something here because we can't carry all these guys out ourselves. There are too many of them. So he took off his helmet and he laid down his gun and he walked over to the huddled hostages there in the corner and he squatted down there with them in their little corner where their shoulders were touching and you could hear each other breathing. And he began to tell them, I'm a U.S. Navy SEAL and I'm here to rescue you. And they knew that they were real because no guard had ever done such a thing before. No guard had laid down their weapons. No guard had approached them. No guard had squatted down next to them and just sat with them and identified with them. And because of that, they were able to rescue all of those hostages and get them on an aircraft carrier back to the U.S. The thing is, that's not a lot different from Jesus on the road with these guys. You see, Jesus is our rescuer. He's not coming today like this, and he didn't come like that to them. Jesus is crouching down next to each one of these men, metaphorically, if you will. And he's putting his arm around them, and he's saying, I've come for you. I've come to rescue you. Follow me, and we'll get out of here. Follow me, and you'll end up where you want to go. He did not say, follow the rules. He said, follow me. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who will rescue you. So Jesus is talking to some of us today. There's things he's been talking to you about all week. Oh, for some of you, it's those Easter invites. And you've had some people come to mind that you're supposed to invite for Easter service, and you've been hesitating. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's our agenda. Sometimes it's not wanting to get involved. Sometimes it's being afraid of the response, like we were responsible for their response, and we're not. But Jesus has been talking to you about that. And And he's also challenging some of us to go a step further. You know that neat little Easter celebration that you and your family, you and yours plans? Jesus might be asking some of you to mess that up by inviting some people who don't even know that Jesus exists yet to come and celebrate with you and have that meal together with you. There are a bunch of guys at the retreat this weekend, and what what makes you say yes to doing that? I'm with him. I'm accompanying Jesus. What makes you say yes to going to Mooberry and helping out? Jesus. That's where he's going. And he taps me on the shoulder and says, come along with me. What makes me go to Cambodia or Uganda or another place in God's world, whether it's a place right here near or it's a place far? Either way, it's always the same. It's following the one who loves us, the one who's come to rescue us. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever, whenever, whatever 